Welcome to City on a Hill's podcast. This week's podcast can be downloaded on iTunes or our media library at chccny.com. So Lord, I just ask that you would, Father, I ask that you would enliven your word, Lord, the word that you have given me. I ask that it would come forth with power, Lord. I ask you to take your, your feeble speaker, Lord. I'm powerless to affect change, but you are the one that can move and Holy Spirit that you can blow on us. Father, I ask that you raise the temperature inside of us. Lord, we don't want to be a lukewarm people. Lord, I ask that you put us on fire for your word. We put you put us on fire to to bring the gospel to other people that are out there, the lost. Lord, help us to see what is at stake. Amen. Amen. Well, I want you to look at your neighbor too. How could, I, how could I start this without having you look at, I want you to repeat with some oomph my title this morning to the person next to you, you are built to scale. Say it. All right, now say it to the other person that you were secretly hoping that you could say it to. I want you to say it to the other person now. You're built to scale. You're built to scale. <laughs> oh, Pastor Linda said I have to share. Pastor Linda just said, can I get a different scale? <laughs> you, will, you will understand this, I think, by the end of the sermon, a few minutes in. You will get my title. And I think, I don't know, I think it's taken me a long time to come up with this title. Megan is probably so sick of me. I threw a, a million titles out there. I'm like, what do you think of this? What do you think of that? What do you think of this? What do you think of this? And then finally, at the end of the week, watching Inside Out on the couch with Jameson, it hit me. Don't ask me why Disney, is it Pixar, Disney? I don't know, but that movie did it, and this is where the title is from. Now, if you have your Bibles, you are going to want to turn. We are going to be in a story in 1 Samuel 14. Now, let me say this too and preface this whole sermon. We're going to be in this for a few weeks. Easter, obviously, I'm not going to be talking about this. But how many of you have heard sermons in the past about one Jonathan in the Old Testament not relating to Jonathan and David? Because that's all we hear in the church. Am I correct? All we hear about is Jonathan's relationship with David. Can we talk about this amazing character in the Bible? I do, how many of you know I'm pretty well read? I, I do a lot of research. I'm pretty meticulous. I'm pretty thorough. There are no books out there. There are no books. Go on Amazon because I've done a search. There are no books that are just specifically written about this character in the Bible. There are none that just talk about this guy and his exploits and what he did, although he is venerated. And many through the church, I can give you quote after quote of people that talk about how great this guy is and how God used him. Let's look at his life. Can we take a few minutes and do that? So let's start. I'm going to read you 14 verses. I have to read you the whole story. Don't fall asleep on me. One of those sermons, I'm going to build. I'm going to turn up the heat as we move into the sermon. I'm going to turn it up. All right, let's start from the top. One day, Jonathan, who was the son of Saul, you may, and I, I'm going to do my best as I always do. I'll try to get through this, but for those people, I love it that we're a church. If you've walked with the Lord for 50 years and you know the Bible really well, right, you know all the, you know, all the books, that's great. We love you. But there are a lot of people in here, you may never have heard of this book in the Bible. You may not know who this character is. He is the first king of Israel, this guy Saul, and this is his son, Jonathan. One day, Jonathan, son of Saul, said to his young armor bearer, Come, let us go over to the Philistine outpost on the other side. The Philistines are those hated. This, this is Israel's arch nemesis. 
right? Like, I don't know, like pick like a Marvel character or whomever you want, like a character that has an, this is their enemy, but he did not tell his father. Uh-oh, didn't tell dad that he was leaving. And Saul was sitting in the outskirts of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree, which is in Migron. The people were with him, about 600 men. Ahijah, whenever, I always tell you, whenever you don't know how to pronounce names, I've heard a thousand different pronunciations of these names. You just pretend like you know and you sound confident. Ahijah, the son of the, the tub, Ichabod's brother, the son of Phinehas, the son of Eli, the Lord's priest in Shiloh, was wearing an ephod. I heard all different pronunciations on this too. Go online and look, it's crazy. We're gonna t- it's not ephod. It is not ephod. Don't say that again. That is the one pronunciation that is 100% wrong. And you hear that in the church all the time. That is, that, it's just wrong. Do not correct me when I'm up here. Between the passes. I'm just kidding. That's just, that's just pastoral love right there. A little conversation you got to hear. Between the passes by which Jonathan intended to go over to the Philistines' garrison, there was a sharp rock on one side and a sharp rock on the other side. And the name of one was Bozes and the name of the other was Sina. The front of one faced northward opposite Michmash and the other southward opposite Gibeah. Then Jonathan said to the young man who bore his armor, Come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. Light bulb should be going off. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many or by few. So his armor bearer said to him, Do all that is in your heart. Go then. Here, I am with you according to your heart. Then Jonathan said, Very well. Let us cross over to these men, and we will show ourselves to them. That's smart. If they say thus to us, wait until we come to you, then we will stand still in our place and not go up to them. But if they say thus, come up to us, then we will go up, for the Lord has delivered them into our hand, and this will be a sign to us. So both of them showed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines. And the Philistines said, look, the Hebrews are coming out of the holes where they have hidden. Then the men of the garrison called to Jonathan and his armor bearer and said, Come up to us, and we will show you something. Jonathan said to his armor bearer, Come after me, for the Lord has delivered them into the hand of Israel. And Jonathan climbed up on his hands and knees with his armor bearer after him. And they fell before Jonathan. And as he came after him, his armor bearer killed them. That first slaughter, which Jonathan and his armor bearer made, was about 20 men within about half an acre of land. How many of you know this story pretty well? You've studied this story in detail. Come on, you've studied it in details? No, uh, that's probably what I thought. Are you interested in diving into this? Are you interested in breaking this down right now? You know why I love Jonathan? You know why I love him? I was thinking about it. If we had the Academy Awards for characters, and let's just take the Old Testament. Let's not even go the whole Bible. Let's just go OT. All right, so if we just go OT, I think if we were up here and you're the audience and the Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor in a role in the Old Testament, I think it goes to Jonathan. I think it goes to Jonathan because we know so much about David and we hear about David, but can I say to us, we jump ahead to David against Goliath in 1 Samuel 17, but can I tell us, you don't know that story if it's not for Jonathan. 
I didn't read that. That's just my, I know I'm right on. We, we do not know the story of David and Goliath if it's not for this character and what he does for a nation. He changes a whole nation by one day having the courage and the bravery to do so. But how many of you actually believe this story? You really believe this happened? Ben, you really believe this happened? Must be. Okay. You believe this story really happened? Yeah, you've been walking with the Lord for a long time. You really believe this happened? I don't know you. Do you believe this story happened? You do? You believe it? You believe this story happened? You believe it. Why? Why do you believe it? Dr. Vic is back in the house. How you feeling? We'll talk later. Everybody's like so uncomfortable right now that we're just having a little conversation. How about on this side of them? You really believe this story? You really believe it? You do? How about some, can I give us some history? You want some history related to this story? All right. Thanks, Steve. It's the end of World War I. By the way, I have a history background too, right? If you don't know, and how many, how about Jamal's sermon last week? Wasn't that great? Right? He's also got that history background. The pull-up arm, you know how hard it, I wanted to come up last week and just bang out pull-ups. That's all I saw when that thing was up there. Anyway, so end of World War I. It's 1918, right? World War I, you with me? And here it is, we are in ancient, Pal- not ancient, we're in Palestine, I'm sorry, we're in Palestine, so it's the, it's, 19, it's the end of the war, and here are the British, the British troops have come to a place called Mikmash, does that, does that sound a little bit familiar? They came to this place called Mikmash, and they could not move farther north because the Turks were there. And if you know anything about World War I history, right? Fighting Germany, Austria, Hungary, and the Ottoman Empire. So the Turks are situated here in this location, and the British can't go anywhere. And what's amazing to me is, this is not written in books, and I kind of found this on accident over the course of the past year, and doing thorough research on it. This really happened. This is amazing. And you can see this is an actual picture of the area today because what these British troops did, there was a General Allenby. And here's a picture of Allenby. He and another one of his comrades, part of his battalion, they were in this area and one of them said, you know what? This area, this Mi'kmaq sounds kind of familiar. I think it's actually a place in the Bible. So you know what they did? They were worried about a straight, head-on, frontal invasion of the Turks who were situated here. So one of them said, why don't we go get a couple of Bibles and let's go look. It's not to pray, but to look at the geography and see if they could ascertain what they should do and what happened in ancient history 3,000 years ago. Well, as history would have it, they bought their Bibles and this General Allenby is sitting inside of a tent with his other commanders, and they find the story in 1 Samuel 13 into 14, and they say they went back and they saw that there were these cliffs that are talked about in the Bible, this exact location, and they realized we don't have to come in with a frontal assault. We'll have a clandestine operation in the middle of the night. We'll make this, this is going to be covert. We're going to go in and give the element of surprise and use these cliffs, and we're going to beat the Turks. Guess what happened? In the middle of the night, 
They didn't even have a large group of soldiers. They went up these cliffs. The Turks were there, not expecting the enemy to come in. They saw some of the soldiers, and they scattered, and they wound up losing, and there were no British casualties. I bring that up because isn't it amazing that an Old Testament narrative from 3,000 years ago was trustworthy for them? I just have one question. Don't you clap yet. I have one question for you. Do you actually trust? Who has a Bible? Cliff, give me that Bible. Do we actually trust, put our trust in this book? Do we actually put our trust in this book? Yeah, that's my opening for the book, this story to get people into what actually happened and that we can, because I know some people go, the Bible is full of fables and fairy tales. No, it's not. No, it's not. How come they were able to use this, the geographic location, and they win the battle? Isn't God amazing? Archaeology just backs up the book that you have in your hand, and we need to make that our North Star. You know what on our phones too? Can I just preach a little bit? I hope the Bible app is above Facebook and Instagram on our phones. I hope we're spending more time in the good book than we are on these other social media apps that have no bearing on our lives. Death by distraction. And the people that didn't clap, I know, because, hey, listen, I'm in the same world as you. I find myself. This morning, I got up at 3 o'clock. I thought there was somebody in the house. I didn't even tell my wife. And I jumped up out of bed, and I couldn't go back to bed. And there I was. I grabbed my phone. I said, what are you doing, man? you got a sermon to preach today. Let's go. That's free. That wasn't. That's just just kind of threw that in there. But here's our guy, Jonathan. Don't you love that? That's a great story, right? And here's Jonathan. And we read that story. Can I give us the background, though? Just a couple of more verses. I know maybe you're a little bit full right now with the Bible. Can you take a little bit of dessert? Can you take some dessert? You got room for that? All right, can I give us the background? Because I don't think you fully understand what's happening in Israel at this time, how afraid they are. Let's back up to chapter 13. Just a couple of verses. The Philistines gathered together to fight with Israel. So we were in 14. This is 13. 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen and people as the sand, which is on the seashore in multitude. And they came up and they encamped in Michmash to the east of beth Aven. when the men of Israel saw that they were in danger for the people were distressed. Look at this. The people hid in caves, thickets, rocks, holes, and in pits. This is the Israelite people. The Israelites, this is what, look at them. They're hiding. They're, I've never seen that word, thickets. I don't know anywhere else in the Bible that you find that word. But there actually are. There's all these caves that are there. There are all these hiding spots. The Israelites are afraid. We go, remember what I said before? We just jump ahead to 1 Samuel 17 when David comes out and he goes up against the uncircumcised Philistine, Goliath, and he takes him out in the Valley of Elah. But how come we don't look at this story and it doesn't get the kind of attention that it should because if it's not for a guy named Jonathan, when everybody is holed up and everybody's afraid, if he doesn't have the courage to come out and fight, what happens to the children of Israel? What happens to them? And then look, here's one more passage. I promise, the last one. Now there's no blacksmith to be found throughout all the land of Israel for the Philistines. Look how smart they were. These Phoenician people, 
right? These Phoenician people, very smart. As seafaring people, they said, lest the Hebrews make swords or spears, but all the Israelites would go down to the Philistines to sharpen each man's plowshare, his mattock, his axe, and his sickle. So it came about on the day of the battle that there was neither sword nor spear found in the hand of any of the people who were with Saul and Jonathan, but they were found with Saul and Jonathan, his son. Are you kidding me? So what I read to you from 1 Samuel 14, none of the people have weapons. You have the king that has a little bit of weapons, and you have the prince, his son Jonathan, he has a little bit of weapons, but nobody else has weapons. Why would somebody say, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go attack the enemy. Are you crazy? Does this look like a battle that you, you know, we should have called, you know what this sermon should be called? The mismatch at Micmash. I was thinking, isn't that a good title? Maybe we'll just call this as part of it. Maybe that's what the title of it is. We're just kind of rolling together. But here are the people, and I love this because here is the enemy, and the enemy has disarmed the Israelites. They have no weapons. Can I tell us this morning, do you know what the enemy wants to do in our lives? The enemy wants to disarm us. The enemy, before he defeats us, he says, I want to disarm you. I don't want you to have any weaponry. I want you to be impotent. I don't want you to realize what you actually have. He doesn't want us to know the potency and the power of the God that lives inside of us. So he says, let me disarm them so that they can't fight back. That's what the enemy is doing to us today distracting us, disarming us, keeping us away from the word, keeping us away from church, keeping us away from small groups, keeping us just busy, not committing all these crazy crimes, not committing all these big offenses. And we walk around and we go, I'm good because I go to church once a week. I'm good. But it's the screw tape letters and it's the elder demon saying to the younger demon, let's just keep them busy. If we can just keep them busy, we'll be okay and we'll be victorious. Let's disarm them. Let's let's let them not tap into the power of the Spirit. Did you hear what Nancy said this morning? We need to see more of that in the church. We need to be a church that we're praying more and we're pressing into more. His promises for our lives. They're yes and amen. And God says, when are we going to, when, when are my people going to do that? So he wants to, he wants to disarm the enemy. And I love what the enemy tries to tell us. What does the enemy try to do? He tries to tell us, you don't have what it takes. You don't have what it takes. You don't have any weapons. Who do you think you are? Maybe I'm the only one who's ever heard those voices. You ever hear those voices? John, do you ever hear those voices? You don't have what it takes. Who are you to get up and sing? Who are you, Jamal? Do you feel that way when you preach? Who are you to get up and preach? Man, let me tell you something. It's not going to stop because I've been preaching for a long time and those voices don't stop. They don't stop. But I know that we are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. How many of us really believe that God wants us to win? How many of us really believe that God wants us to win and be victorious? Nah, but the only reason I saw about 10, 15% of the audience that is saying, yeah, yeah, go, go, yeah, I believe that, I believe that is, you know what we do a lot of times? We take our theology 
and we lower it to our reality. Instead of taking our reality and bringing it up to our theology of what the Bible says about us, that we're the head and not the tail, and that we are victorious through Christ Jesus, we take our situation and we pull our theology down and say, yeah, that's good, but look at the situation I'm in, and I'm here with a message this morning that it's time for us to take our situation and pull it up to what God says about us in his word. He wants us to win. And let me tell you something. Why did he give us the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony if he didn't intend for us to win? You may be bloodied. You may be wounded. You may be injured. You may have nicks and you may have cuts and you may feel like a weeble wobble. But guess what? You're not going down. And the enemy has thrown his best shot at you. And you better realize that God has you exactly where he wants you and you will be victorious. And we need to start speaking truth. The power of life and death is in the tongue. We need to speak into our situations. We need to be speaking life and truth and his word and stop accepting what the enemy is trying to tell us. The chatterbox is constant. He's constant. He's constant. He wants to keep us away from our destiny. He wants to keep us away from our purpose. He doesn't want us to know how powerful we actually are. And he says, you know what? If I can keep the people from actually knowing how to work with what they have, Can I tell you this? And this is interesting. I'm going to write about this because this is cool. The Israelites had metal. The Philistines had metal. The Philistines knew how to work with the metal that they had. The Israelites had the metal, but they didn't know how to work with what they had. Do you realize how many times in life you didn't get it? Throw me my phone, babe. Where's my phone? Now, I just got this new phone, right? I was due for an upgrade years ago. I finally got an upgrade to the new phone. And I'm at work, and I'm asking my kids, can you teach me what this is? What do you mean I can use my face now and just unlock my phone? I don't have to use my finger anymore. And the kids are laughing at me. They're saying, you have no idea all the things that you can do that are on your phone. You see, I possess something that is so powerful but I'm not even using it at 50% capacity. And I think there are a lot of people. What? What's that? Am I calling somebody? I don't, that, that's okay. I don't look at it. I, people are trying to distract me in here. That's okay. God's going to deal with them. Not me. God's going to deal with them. So pe- people are using 50% of their capacity of what they have. God said, tell my people that. We have so much and we're not working at full capacity. How much we have. And the enemy just wants to hide that little fact from us. If I can just hide to them, I don't want them to see what they what they really possess and who they really are. Because if I, if I can do that, I'll be victorious. Let's just keep them blinded. I'm only talking that way to wake people up that are sleeping. Right? And I think I think about this, you know what? I think there are so many Christians that that have incredible talent but no discipline, no discipline. There are people in here in this room. I mean, one of the, listen, I know myself and one of the things I know about myself, I'll outwork anybody. I'll outwork anybody. I'm not gonna stop. I'm disciplined and I'm gonna go at it. 
there are people in here, you are so talented, but you have no follow-through. And you have no, I'm not beating you up. I'm just talking truth as a pastor. And there are things that I know you can do in this church and that you could be an incredible weapon for the kingdom of God, but you need to be more disciplined. It should, it's supposed to be silent when I say things like that. It's true, though. God said you got to say it. I didn't want to say that, but I'm not doing my job if I don't say that. And it's so easy to be passive. It's so easy to kind of just sit back. And you know what? I think about it too. I think about the, the gifts that we have and what a threat we would be. And this is, this is exactly what the Philistines did to the Israelites. They said, you know what? Let's have them be formed in our hands. The, the Philistines said, let's get the Israelites and let's form them and forge them in our hands. And God said, I was forming you so you would destroy this enemy. I wasn't forming you and I wasn't forging you in the fire so that you could be controlled by this enemy. And the Philistines were smart. They made sure there were no blacksmiths in the whole area. It's a brilliant strategy. It's ingenious. If I can take all of them out, then I can actually destroy them. But I'm here to tell you too, Isaiah 54, 17, do you know what it says? It says, no weapon formed against us will prosper. No, how could, really? That's, that's, the, that's the response we get from Isaiah 54, 17? Did you hear that? No weapon, that doesn't mean weapons won't be formed against us. The Bible is clear. Weapons are going to be formed against you. There are weapons being formed against you right now to keep you busy, to keep you distracted, to keep you going in a million different directions. But God says no weapon formed against you will actually prosper. But that's not the best verse in Isaiah. Can I show you what the best verse in Isaiah is? Here it is. It's Isaiah 49.2 and preachers don't quote this one. He made my mouth like a sharpened sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me into a polished arrow and concealed me in his quiver. You see, God says, you are my secret weapon that not only are you going to be dodging matrix-style arrows that are coming at you, but you have in your quiver, I have given you arrows to shoot back at the enemy, that you have the power when it comes to your health. You have the power when it comes to your finances. You have the power when it comes to your kids. You have the power. No weapon formed against us will prosper. No weapon. Enemy. Does anybody feel like you're in overtime? You're in overtime with the enemy? You're just fighting? Anybody you feel like you're in overtime? Anybody feel like you're in double overtime with the enemy? You feel like you're in triple overtime? that you're just battling, that it's a nonstop battle and you're going at it, I'm here to tell you this morning, you are going to be victorious, not by might, not by power, but by his spirit. And you can win with what you have. You can win with what you have. No, 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 you didn't hear me. You can win with what you have. Jonathan did not have a whole squad Jonathan had one dude who was his armor bearer. And that, what do you think this armor bearer was like? This wasn't some great warrior that he had with him. He just had one regular dude that was with him. We think we need an army of people. Maybe you were divorced. 
You, you're divorced and you're looking at it going, how am I supposed to move on? Guess what? That person, maybe they're not in your story anymore, but God said, you know what? I, I know what I'm doing and I'm leaving things out on purpose. If God left something out, he says to you this morning, I did it on purpose. You may be outmanned, you may be outnumbered, but you have to know that he's with you in the battle. And don't listen, listen, don't hate people. Come on now. Don't hate people. You say, man, it's just all the haters, all these people. And we get, if people left, wish them well. As a pastor, I finally got to the point when I can move on. When somebody leaves, hey, listen, I wish you well. It just means your part in the story for here is over. But I want to tell some people sometimes I want to go, hey, that's all right, because you're probably going to want to come back one day. And what's interesting is when Jonathan has a victory, it's, it's funny how all the people are going to start to come out of the caves and they're going to come out of their holes once there's a little success. When there's a little success and things start moving and you have a little bit of momentum, then people want to be part of a winner. Come on, fans. Nobody follows the Knicks right now because they stink. Y'all follow the Mets. Talk to me in two months. Start following the Yankees. Fairweather, how many Fairweather fans do you know? You meet people. Will you stop? You are not a Golden State Warriors fan. You're a Warriors fan because they won the last two titles. Where were you five years ago? You don't even know who the Warriors were. It's true. It's true. Just saying. Thanks, Jamal. Appreciate that. And here it is, <laughs> here it is, like when you go back to this, I'm not reading this whole thing, but I, I, I want us to see this in the text. God is not going to limit us by those people that have left. God's not going to limit us. He's not limited by, oh my gosh, I can't believe that person left. Oh, I, what are we going to do now? God says, no, 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 I have everything under control. You need to know and you need to trust me. And how about this? It's one conversation that changed history. One conversation. Look at this story. Look, look. One conversation that one man has, it changed the trajectory of an entire nation of people. Jonathan said to his armor bearer, let's go, bro. Get behind me. We're going to go take on these Philistines. One co- Do you believe that one conversation can change the trajectory of somebody's life? John, do you believe that? How about this guy right here? How many of you know who this is? Yeah, Thomas Edison. All right, Thomas Edison, you know him as one of the great innovators, uh, one of the greatest inventors in the history of our country. Uh, amazing. Don't get me into Tesla. I don't want to hear anybody later. Tesla was better. That's great, okay? I'm just talking right now about uh, Thomas Edison. And there's a fascinating story. As a small child, he came home from school one day and he gave a paper to his mom. True story. Hey, mom, my teacher said I'm supposed to give you this paper. And you're supposed to read it. And there is the mother. She unfolds this piece of paper and she starts reading the story, the the note that the teacher had written. And the teacher wrote these words. My teacher, your son is a genius but the school is too small for him and doesn't have good enough teachers to train him. Please teach him yourself. Wait, did I ruin that for you? No, I didn't ruin that for you. I said it right. What's wrong with my brain right now? You're a genius. Imagine that. She reads that to the little kid, but she has tears. Christian, tears are welling, welling up in her eyes, coming down her cheeks. 
She says this, and there's the little boy, right? He doesn't know anything. I guess the teacher, said, the teacher said I'm a genius. Can't teach me or I have to go somewhere else. He doesn't think about this until later on in life. His mom has passed. He is in the house, and he's going through her belongings, and he finds a box. Can I show you what the letter really said? Here's what the letter really said. Your son is mentally deficient. We can't let him attend our school anymore. He is expelled Edison became emotional when reading it and wrote in his diary, Thomas Edison was a mentally deficient child whose mother turned him into one of the century's best inventors. And it changed my destiny. One conversation. And now, Mike, I got to preach a little bit because his parents... It's amazing how we can change the course of a kid's life. I'm a teacher. I just got a a Facebook message at three in the morning from a kid that graduated years ago. I had no idea it had an impact on this kid. And this kid wrote me the nicest message. And I said, you have no idea what I'm preaching on in a few hours at church. Parents, the impact that we have on our kids and the conversations that we have, we can be changing the trajectory of somebody's life, but not just kids, each other. When we choose to give life and speak life into situations and not death and not judge and lift people up, that's what the church is. One conversation. One conversation. Now I'm heating up. Thomasia. And then look at this. Look what it says. He intended... Jonathan intended to go over to the Philistines. You know, one of the lessons in this story is, and I want to write about this, being intentional. My mom has talked about this for years. I picked it up too when I read like John Ortberg and Dallas Willard, some really smart dudes. Intent, being intentional in our faith. It's not enough to think of things. Can I be honest with you too sometimes? I, you know, people will come up, sometimes don't ever come up to me after a sermon because well, you wouldn't do this. You're too smart, right? But sometimes people come up and go, you know, I got a great idea for a sermon. I know you mean well. Pastor Linda, having an idea for a sermon and actually... No, no, no. I, I, like, I love when people send me emails, you stories, and that's great. But I'm just saying there's a huge difference between having an idea for something and then actually seeing it through. I had an idea. Eric, remember I had an idea for an invention? And then I got into it a little. I'm not going to tell you because uh, this place will be in stitches if I told you what my idea was. I get these silly, stupid ideas. You can ask. No, I don't, I'm not telling you. After, don't even ask me. I, I didn't say that. But you can get an idea. Did you ever like look at something? I was looking at uh, Uber Eats. Just started to. Megan's like, turn me this Uber Eats thing. How many of you use that? And I sit there and go, how come we didn't think of something like that? It's one thing to think of it, but it's another thing to be intentional and to move through. And God said, I want you to tell my people they need to be intentional with their walk. You can't just say, I'm going to do so. I wish. I wish. I wish I had more money, really. I wish I was a better parent. I wish I had more time. How about we make some things happen in our lives and stop sitting back? Jonathan said, you know what? I'm not sitting back and just wishing that we can defeat the enemy. I'm intending. I'm going to be intentional. I'm taking the weapons I have. Yo, bro, you with me? Let's go and fight the enemy together. And let's see what God can do. I know this. I'm, I, listen, I'm enjoying my own preaching right now. You, whatever. And then they start climbing. And then they start climbing. How many of you like rock climbing? I told you, you got to give me some time. How many of you like, you into rock climbing? Into rock climbing? 
I came across a story. Megan passed this story on to me. Uh, maybe it was like two weeks ago. You know when your wife tells you something, and I was at the gym, and somebody else told me the same week, and then I came home, what do you think my wife said to me? I said, man, I was talking to Raul. Is Raul here? I was talking to Raul. I gotta, I'm going to beat on him when I get to him at the gym this week. And, and, and he said to me, you got to watch this documentary. I said, my wife was just telling me i got to watch this documentary. So I was watching this documentary. It's called The Dawn Wall. Anybody see The Dawn Wall? Can I show you a one and a half minute clip of The Dawn Wall? Yeah, yeah, you're all like, yeah, this is like in school when the teacher's like, yeah, we're showing a video today, and you all get excited, right? If we could put that video up, I want you to see this, and I want to talk about this. This is one of the most amazing climbing stories I've ever heard. Just watch this, and then we'll, we'll break this down. You still have a chance for the first time to mention the breath. Early in the morning, there's this one panel of the wall that illuminates first. It has never been climbed until Tommy Caldwell came along. Nobody actually considered climbing. It's like stepping off the edge of the earth. How many of you are going to go home and probably watch that now tonight? It's called the Dawn Wall. The Dawn Wall is in Yosemite National Park in California. It is a 3,000-foot just piece of, of, of sheer rock. And it, you heard the guy say it's never been climbed until this guy, this lunatic, it took him six years. Tommy Caldwell and his partner, what was his, his partner's name again? Is Kevin Jorgensen. They captivated the world when they climbed this. They understood they were built to what? Scale. We as Christians, I showed you that today because the story that we're in, I saw two dudes that said, we're built to scale and we're going to scale these cliffs and nothing is going to stop us. Nothing is going to get in our way. Tommy Caldwell, you want to hear this? At 23 years old, he lost his index finger in an accident. The doctor told him, you will never climb again. And Caldwell said, not only will I climb again, I'll get better. And this dude got better and he let nothing get in the way and was tenacious and persevered. I wish I had a church that understood what I'm talking about right now because this is our spiritual lives and we can't let anything stop us. We're, con- so, we're supposed to be climbers. Continue to climb. It's a continuous climb. It's a climbing faith. I cried when I watched this because I saw the spiritual parallel. Six years. And look at some of the, here, here's the picture of them when they're actually, when they're done. This is what, six years. Going up, going down, figuring out their track on how they're going to make it to the top. 
This is a picture too. I mean, are you kidding me? How many times they fell? This one guy, it took, I don't even know, countless times to get past this one part of the mountain. It was insane. How about them sleeping? Look at this, look at this. Can you see this? These are like makeshift tents. He's literally just hanging off a piece of granite, a piece of rock. This is what they slept in. This is what they cooked in because they, I mean, we're talking, we're bordering on, I mean, possessed. Like in this, I mean, you talk about passionate, but I look at this and I see in my own life, I want to be a passionate climber because I'm built to scale and we're built to move mountains with our lives and the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force, not by being passive, church. By being violent. And these guys did it. You got to watch. There's all this stuff in there too. I cut out some of, the, uh, some of the trailer, but you have to watch it, how they plotted and practiced their route. And then we move on. How about these? We go back to the story. How about these rocks? You interested in these rocks? Look at these cliffs. Now, it says there, one of them, one of them is sharp, and, and it was called Bozes, and the other one was called Sina. In doing research on this, this is fascinating. The one Sina means thorny. It means thorny. This is an actual picture. You can actually go there today. And if you go there, and I'm thinking about it, isn't our walk a lot of times laborious? And can it be really thorny when God asks us and he says, I need you to forgive that person. And it's painful as you're reaching out. And I see Jonathan and I see the armor bearer and it's a thorny part of the cliff. But they have their pain and they're struggling. But they say, you know what? I'll humble myself and I'll forgive that person. I'm going to serve that person. I'm going to love that person like Christ loved the church. It's not going to be easy. It's going to be difficult, but I'm going to continue to climb. Do I have any climbers in the house? I'm not letting up. And how about the pastor? Did you notice in this text too, this blew my mind. The writer spends more time talking about the passages than he does the actual victory. Get this, get this, this is important. He spends more time talking about the passages that they have to navigate than he does the actual victory. There's like two verses that talk about the victory because sometimes it's about the passages and what we have to go through as Christians. Don't you wish sometimes you had somebody to talk to you about the passages maybe when you were younger? Maybe you didn't have parents. I don't know. I'm just talking now. Maybe you don't have parents that told you this is what it's like to get up at six o'clock in the morning and you have to go to work when you're tired and you have to navigate this and you have to support your family. You have to do this. Don't you wish you had somebody to tell you that? Jamal, aren't you glad you have people to tell you what it's like to navigate the passage of getting up here and talking to people all the time? Don't you wish you had people that would tell you what it's like to parent? Don't you wish you had people that could tell you anything in life, things that you're doing? The passages. And then on the other side, what's on the other side? The other side is, it it means slippery in Hebrew. So you have one side, it means thorny and rocky. And then you have on the other side, it means slippery. And you know what I'm thinking? I'm thinking about failure. How many of you suffer sometimes from the fear of failure? Oh, wait wait till Easter. I got a story that's going to knock your socks off on Easter. But it's not Easter. 
And you think about it, listen, how slippery it is as we go up and the farther you climb, you look down and the farther you're going to fall. I don't know if I have what it takes. I don't know, but you keep climbing. It's slippery, but you keep moving and you keep trusting and you keep trusting, you keep trusting, you keep moving. And then look at this, Mike, look at this in verse 11. Both of them showed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines and the Philistines said, look, the Hebrews are coming out of their holes where they have hidden. Now, who's a military guy? I have any military people in the house? Who's a military person? Lebo, where are you at? Lebo, don't hide in the back. Lebo, where are you? Lebo, look at this. Look at this. Look at this. Russ, too. Russ, I'm going to go to Russ because he's closer, all right? You know I love you. Look at this. It says, so they showed themselves to the garrison. Is that the dumbest strategy you've ever heard in your life? Come on, saints. Come on. Is this the dumbest strategy you've ever heard in your life? Hey, let's go show ourselves to the enemy. And they have the high ground. If I'm this guy, I'm going, dude, I'm out. Dude, I'm out. There's no way I am following you anywhere. This is like the Navy SEALs would cringe if they saw this strategy. This is not how you fight. You try to get the high ground, right? You try to, you want to do things in darkness. You don't want the enemy to see you. Who's with me on this? Do you want the enemy to see you? You don't want the enemy to see you. How crazy is this story? And what I love about this, when they do this and they show themselves, it makes me think of in the Bible. You know, there's a lot of, people did a lot of dumb things in the Bible. Do you, you ever read your Bible? Yo, Noah, I need you to build an ark. Huh? You want me to build an ark? Why am I going to build an ark? I don't see any rain. Why am I going to build an ark? That's, that seems pretty dumb. It seems pretty dumb. Hey, Moses. Take your staff and put it down on the Red Sea and the water is going to part. That's pretty dumb. Okay. Hey, David, take, don't take a sword. I want you to go against that big giant Philistine right there. And I want you to go in the Valley of Elah. Take a slingshot and a couple of smooth stones because the smooth stones are really going to help you. And I want you to go fight that guy. Hey, Mary, I need you to tell Joseph... I need you to tell Joseph that, yeah, the baby is not his, but it's born of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, that seems kind of dumb. And Jesus says, yeah, you know what? I'm going to go to a cross. And everybody thought it was kind of dumb and it didn't make much sense. But sometimes God says, I want to confound the wise with the weak things of this world. And sometimes things don't make sense, y'all. They just don't make any sense. That's why we have to have faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. What, what is this walk without any faith? And you know what I want to write about in this? I want to write about how vulnerable they were. Vulnerability. Victory can happen when we are vulnerable. You know what happens when we open up ourselves? You know in a relationship when you're vulnerable, you can't touch someone, but you're in a meeting maybe, and somebody opens up in a small group meeting, and they become vulnerable, and they become transparent? Don't put your church face on right now. And we open up, and we get transparent. What happens? That's when change happens. When we get vulnerable, and we take risks. I'm going to take a risk right now. You ready? I'm going through a situation right now. You know why this story is so meaningful for me? Because I'm in a situation right now as one of your pastors, and we're going to talk more about this down the road. But God, I want you to just be prayerful on this. I've been in a classroom. I've been, I've been teaching for 22 years. 22 years. I'm getting to the point it's hard to manage both worlds. I'm supposed to live in one world for 30 years. 
right? I'm supposed to live in that world for 30 years. I'm getting to the point where I feel like God's saying, I want you in this world full time. And I used to say all the time, I'm just telling you, I feel in my heart, I feel in my spirit, I feel like things are about to happen in this church. In a lot of ways, we have a firm foundation. We're just building on top of what has already been laid. And I'm in this story right now, and I feel like I'm climbing, and I feel like God's saying, are you going to take a step of faith? And not everything makes sense. And you may tell people in the world, and they may go, you're crazy. What's wrong with you? How could you give that up? But when God calls you to do something, you better take risks and Playing it safe is risky. Playing it safe, y'all, is risky. Where in your life is God calling you? I'm not talking about doing anything stupid. I'm not going to be stupid about this. I'm talking about putting a plan in place to do this full time, to minister outside of Sundays, to do all different things. I'm excited about it. I'm excited about it. I want to see what's going to happen. I want to see what's going to happen. You have to stand, but I want to do it. And this is an amazing place. Nancy, you were talking before. Do you know what it's like to preach at this place? Do you know what it's like? The affirmation? I remember the first sermon I ever preached in that old white building down the street that I want to blow up still. I passed by. God, it was so good to us. Thank you, Lord. It was good to us. Don't, Lord, don't strike me with lightning right now. It was good to us. It was good to us. But listen to me. Listen. I remember I didn't know anything. I had nothing. I, 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 I feel like the armor bearer. Pastor Linda was like, you're going to preach. What? You're, preach, you're the preacher. I don't preach. That's the last place I'm ever getting up to. I remember the first sermon I preached about Amazing Grace. It was probably terrible. I remember the topic it was about. But she threw me up there and was like, get in there, boy. Go do it. And every time I've preached and doing this for years, the affirmation and the encouragement I have gotten for you, whatever happens, whatever I do, whatever we do together, whatever I go, wherever we go, our kids, whatever, and I don't know, God's called me to be a leader here. Just guess guess what? It's on your account too, whatever we do, because you're the ones that are making this happen. Can I bring you inside a staff meeting this week? We had a staff meeting that last week, and I, God gave me the illustration of Moses with his staff, that staff that was with him for his entire life, and I said to our people, I said, listen, that, that man threw that staff out wherever he went for his entire life, and I'm throwing that staff down. You're my staff. You're our staff. We only go as far as we go together as a team, and I'm telling us as a church, we only go as far as we go together collectively. I got to finish up. I'm, uh, can you, music team, come on up. Come on up. I'm finishing up now. Can you give me two more minutes? I know I'm long, but I'm going long. I know I'm going long today. I know I'm in OT right now. And the coach is looking at me. We got no timeouts left. Hurry it up. How about you? Look what Eugene Peterson says in, this tra- in the message translation. How many of you know Eugene Peterson? He wrote the message translation because so many people, he said, they never read the Bible. He said, let's put it in the vernacular of our day. Look what he, how he puts it. Jonathan shouted to his armor bearer, up, follow me. You can play that keyboard for me, Janice. Thank you. God has turned them over to Israel. He scrambled up on all fours, his armor bearer right on his heels. Friends, can you imagine what that looked like? Here is this guy. They have hardly any weapons 
They're outnumbered and they're outmanned. But this guy, like a dog, gets down on his hands and his knees. And he says, I'm going to climb and I'm getting to the top and I'm taking the enemy out. And he talks about an enemy that's already defeated. He talked past tense. And where do you think, by the way, I, I said it to you when I first read the text. Come on, you better love the Bible. When it called, he said he was uncircumcised. These uncircumcised Philistines. Where do you think David got that when he went in the Valley of Elah? He called Goliath uncircumcised. And you may be asking, where was, David, where was Jonathan then in the battle? I don't know where he was in the Valley of Elah, but all I'm going to tell you is, I think David looked up to Jonathan and Jonathan was his hero. He looked and knew this story of Jonathan climbing up on his hands and his knees. And here's what I'm looking for today. I'm looking for some people that are climbers. How many climbers do I have in the house? How many climbers do I have in the house? Listen, you, you are built, you are built to scale. And the last, I can't even follow these notes. Let me just, here's the last thing I just want to say to us. Here's the last thing. Because this really bothers me. And I told Megan about it, and she's like, man, you got to talk about that. Here is Saul. Where was Saul sitting under? The pomegranate tree. You know what the pomegranate tree represents? It represents luxury and comfort and ease. Here is the king of the people who is supposed to be fighting in a time of war. He's taking it easy, chillaxing under a pomegranate tree when he should be leading his troops into battle. And here's what's crazy. Can you, I, I promise this is the last thing. We talked about the ephod. I said it in the text. And what's so interesting, I wish I had more time, but I don't. You see where it says, these are the vestments that a priest would wear. He's sitting under a pomegranate tree and the priest is there. I wish I could get into the priestly line and get into all this stuff, but suffice it to say, there are two stones that the, that the priest would wear like an apron underneath the breastplate and the two stones, he would have the 10 stones of the, of the tribes of Israel and then there were two. Come on, get this now. Urim and Thummim and these were kind of the best we can understand and ascertain. These were stones that would let the children of Israel know what God's will was for the people. God spoke through dreams, visions. He also spoke his will through this. And I want to say a lot of times, I feel like we as Christians, we look and hide behind the will of God. We hide behind it. Here is Saul waiting under the pomegranate tree in the place of ease, in the place of comfort, and he's waiting for the priest to tell him what God's will is. And here is his son, Jonathan, who does not wait. Did you notice God never told him anything? Did you notice in the story, God never spoke anything. He went ahead with his plan, even though God said, didn't say anything. It was a maybe. Maybe God will show off. Maybe God will show up on our behalf. Maybe if you go into full-time ministry, God's going to show up. Maybe it's, you don't have all the time definite answers where you just know. And a lot of times we go, well, you know what? I'm just waiting to see what the will of God is. And maybe, listen to me, maybe God's shouting back down from heaven. You're saying, God, show me your will. God's saying, show me yours. Show me yours. Where is our will? Get up. Let's stand up. Some of you didn't get that. Listen to me. We're waiting for answers and we're waiting for God to constantly direct us. And we should. God wants to direct his people. But sometimes God is saying what he said to Jonathan. I'm scriptural on this. God, the Bible backs me up. 
that sometimes God is saying, show me your will. It's by his spirit that things happen, but he's looking for a people that will say, you know what? I'm going to believe in you and I'm going to trust you because I think this is what you're saying and that's what I'm going through right now. I got a witness in the house. That's what I'm going through. Come on, church. Lord, I thank you for this word this morning. Lord, I ask that you would just continue to to plant it deeper in our hearts as we move on and we look at other stories from the life of Jonathan. Father, I pray that we would be climbers. Lord, that we would continue to climb in our faith. Lord, I thank you that you have made us and we're built to scale. We're built to scale mountains. We're built to get over obstacles. Lord, we're not going to let anything, I don't care if there are people in front of us, we're going to climb over them. We're going to climb over things to get what you have for us, Lord. You receive this word this morning. Just let's, let's, let's just clap right now to him. Let's just clap right now. You receive any of this in your heart. What are we singing? What are we singing? We're singing the great I am. And there are some people in here this morning. The great I am wants to speak to your situations. And he's looking. And you keep waiting. And you're waiting like Saul under the pomegranate tree. And God's saying, no, no, no. No, no, no. I'm waiting for you. When are you going to step out? Thanks for listening to City on a Hill's podcast. For more resources, visit us at chccny.com.